0: For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Now let's pray once again before we start. Uh, Father God, would you illumine our minds to see what you want us to see and to hear what you want us to hear, and to know what you want us to know and to feel how you want us to feel. For God, it is the Word that is a light to our path, light to our feet and a, and a path for our lives. And so Father, would you come, Holy Spirit? Uh, would you send your Holy Spirit to soften our hearts and open our minds so that we may not see, with the blindness of those who are still in sin, but Lord, that we would see as those who have seen the light. Father, would you be with me? For I am a man of unclean lips, speaking among of people of unclean lips, and yet you have saved us by the grace and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ, we, play, we pray, amen. Oh, all right. all um, right. So we're trucking along in, verse, uh, in chapter 8, and we are almost at the peak of the mountaintop. And Paul, in this entire book, and especially in this chapter, he is addressing uh, and he is comforting a suffering people. He is addressing people who are in pain, who are in distress, who are unsure about their future, both immediate and long-term. They don't even know if they'll make it to the next week. And so this is the type of people that Paul is addressing. And though our situations may not be so dire, and if it is, um, it doesn't change the fact that indeed Paul is not only speaking to the Romans, but he's speaking to us as well. He's speaking to our particular circumstances through the, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to our particular sufferings our particular pains and perhaps uh, you might think that oh you know I'm going through something but you know I shouldn't bother God with it let me assure you as Paul assures us that God is bothered by it and God does see you and he holds you in the palm of his hands and though things don't look right to you right now The things about you, inside of you, and your heart and your mind, it doesn't look right. And maybe the things in our church, they don't seem to be all there. And even when we look out in creation, we see that things are truly broken. We can be assured, we can be confident that God is working all things together for good. Isn't that what we read last week and even today? God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And indeed, the way that God works all things together for our good, despite our sufferings, despite our circumstances, despite whatever we may be going through, both small and big, he does this and he accomplishes this working together for good through his predestining of our conformity to the image of his son in order that Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers And if you need to repeat that, just look down in your Bibles, because that's verse 29, right? The way in which God will work all things together for good, for our good specifically, right? Uh, And this is not a general good. This is a specific good for God's people. How will he do this? By conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And Paul says this, and he said a lot of things so far in chapter 8. And he said a lot of things that will assure the Roman believer and therefore the Christian believer even today that their suffering is not in vain, that God is watching over them in their suffering, that uh, God holds them in the palm of his hand, that we have been, uh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that uh, this suffering, the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us Again and again, Paul is hammering home that these assurances, these confidences. But in what way? How does our conforming to the image of Jesus Christ answer our present suffering? How does becoming more like Jesus? How does becoming, how does looking more like Jesus, answer to our present pains and sufferings and trials and questions about? the present time and questions about the future. Today's our senior night, and uh, was the question a lot of seniors ask, what's next? What am I gonna do now, right? It's not just seniors, so be comforted in that, right? Even those who are well into their careers, maybe, what am I doing here? What's next? Those in high school, like, prepping for the future, um, and they're filled with all sorts of anxiety about what's coming. And so how does the conforming to the image of Christ answer our present sufferings? Well, it answers it in three ways. By pointing us to the source of our conformation. It points us to the son of our conformation. And it points us to the story of our conformation. I tried to do three S's to be clever. Um, We'll see if I forced it or not. You be the judge of that. points to the source, the son, and the story. And so the source... Our verse 29 begins like this. For those whom he foreknew, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. Who are those whom? Who are the whom that Paul is talking about? Again, the whom that is in reference here is, are the people who are mentioned in verse 28. God foreknew those who would love God and those who are called according to his purpose. What we read in verse 28 is this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so we see just the logic of, the, of these two verses that God has foreknown all of those who would love him and those whom he would call to live according to his purpose. In other words, God foreknew His own people. He foreknew them before the creation of the world. We read about that in Ephesians 1, which we'll mention later. And what this tells us, what this part of the verse tells us, is the omniscience of God, the all knowingness of God. God is all knowing. Secondly, who are are those that he predestines? So if that's who he foreknew, who are those he predestines? Well, it's the same, it's the same people. Those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose are those whom God has predestined. And the predestination highlights the omnipotence of God, the, that God is all-powerful. And so we see that God is all-knowing in his foreknowledge, and he is all-powerful in his predestination of his people. And in these two things, we see that what he knows, what God knows, is in accordance with what he does. What God does aligns perfectly with what he knows. Because not only has he known his people, but he has called his people to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And you know how we know we're not God? Because time and time again, what we know does not match up with what we do. We know what is right, and yet we do not do it. We know what is wrong and what we ought not to do, and yet we keep on doing those things. Despite our inability to carry out what is right and to carry out the law of God, despite all of that, God has predestined us for our salvation. God has known us. He has called us, even knowing How far we have fallen from his glory. How far we have fallen from righteousness. Despite that, he calls us. He knows us. He knows every hair that is on our head and the hair that's going to fall out. And he's predestined us. He has called us to salvation. He has called us into relationship with himself. And therefore... Because he has predestined us for salvation, he has, before the foundation of the world, seen to our justification. He has seen to our sanctification. He has seen to our adoption. He has seen to our glorification. And we'll read next week that these are elements of the golden chain of salvation, that all things work to save us, that we are not just saved in a, in, in a ephemeral, vague, abstract sense, God has called us to our salvation before the foundation of the world. Now here I'm going to take a quick tangent and, and, and just uh, acknowledge the fact that maybe some of you have grown up in a church tradition that does not, uh, does not affirm the doctrine of predestination. And so, I would. but um, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that this doctrine is one that undergirds not just Romans 8, but it has the past 27 verses we've read it is inundated. It is soaked with God's predestinating foreknowledge. But not only that, but the whole Bible doesn't really make sense if this doctrine is not in view. So if you have any questions, I really invite you to either talk to me or talk to John um, about this if, it, if it's troubling you in any way. And I know it, it should if you're thinking about it for any length of time, but the Bible also provides comfort too. Uh, so that being said, Uh, So to be conformed to the image of God's Son, what God has called us to then, what he knows about us and what he has predestined us to do is in conforming to his Son, Jesus Christ, is to be conformed to that which we have been predestined. To be conformed to the image of his Son is to be conformed to that which God has predestined us to be. In other words... To be conformed to the image of God's Son is to grow more and more in our salvation, in our salvation, to grow in the knowledge of our salvation, and to grow in the practice of our salvation. In Philippians, uh, Paul says, "Hey, work out your salvation in fear and trembling, because we have been justified as." We've read through the whole book of Rome, uh, whole chapter of Romans 8. We are justified. We have been declared righteous by God. There's nothing that we could do to be made righteous, but God has declared us righteous through his son, Jesus Christ. And yet we grow more and more in the reality of our justification as we ourselves pursue justice and righteousness so that we're not simply called righteous, but that we would pursue righteousness and we are sanctified. God has made us holy through the blood of his son Jesus Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit. We are sanctified people, and yet we grow more and more in our identity as holy ones. We don't we are not simply we are not satisfied simply with saying, "Yes, I'm holy," but we live holy lives, putting to death the sins of the flesh and bringing to bear the work of the Holy Spirit. We are adopted we're adopted, ingrafted into the family of God. And because we are adopted, we look more and more like our father every day. You don't join a family just to, just to take on the name and never come home for dinner. We are adopted and we join in our family as we imitate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are glorified. We are basking in the resurrection of our risen Savior, and yet we are looking towards the day when Jesus will come again. Our conforming to the image of Jesus Christ, our conforming to the image of God's Son, is to conform to the reality of our salvation. And that conformation, to be more like Jesus, and to be more like the reality of our salvation, it's only possible... And not only is it possible, but it's guaranteed because God is the source of our salvation. Because God has known us, we are saved. Because God has predestined us, we are saved. The source of our salvation is not our faith. Did you know that? The source of our salvation, the reason you are a Christian is not because you believe. The reason The reason you are saved, the source of your your salvation is not your faith, but it's the one in whom you put your faith in. The source of your salvation is not you. It's not because you believed. It's not because you said a prayer. It's not because you did the right things, but it is because of Christ. It is Jesus Christ, and it it is in his name we pray. It is in, in his name that we trust and believe That God has secured our salvation, that we no longer need to fear sin and death. We are no longer slaves to sin and death, to be put under the weight of sin and death, but we are alive in Christ. By grace, we have been saved. And so if that is true, if the source of our salvation is not how we live or what we do, but the source of our salvation is God and specifically Jesus Christ and what he has done, then our salvation is more secure than we could ever imagine. If God is truly the source of our salvation, then our salvation is secure. More secure than we could ever imagine, despite our failings, despite our regressions, despite our sufferings. Because we look around, and we even look in ourselves, and we say, something's not right. How can I be so sure that God has made all things new, that I am truly saved and I truly belong to him? How can I know this when every day I seem to grieve his heart, when every day I neglect his word and will for my life, when every day it seems as though I am struggling to live up to the name to which I have been called, the name of Jesus Christ, And God's foreknowledge and predestination of his people is the answer to that question. It is the security when we are asking that question. It is the assurance when we are asking that question that despite our inability to live up to God's standards, if despite our inability to even live up to our own standards, God has chosen you since before the foundation of the world. We are secure in Christ And so, uh, despite all our failings, regressions, sufferings, we are secure in our salvation, and we will never be let go. And so, uh, Romans 6, Paul asks this then, hypothetically, because he knows how people are going to respond to him. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so, there is nothing that you can do that will separate you from the salvation that is yours through Jesus Christ. And so... Brothers and sisters, let us live unto that salvation. Let us live unto it. Not that it will save you anymore. That it will, it's not going to make you more lovable. But do it precisely because you are loved. Precisely because you have been called by his glorious grace. So that's the source. The source of our conforming to the image of Christ is God himself. And what are we conformed to? We are conforming to the Son. And I'm a blaze through this i promise uh even though oh geez this is long i'm sorry guys but (laughs) we are conformed to the image of his son how does conforming to his son help us in our suffering how does it help us in our weakness how does it help us in this present age well let us think about well in Romans 8.18, Paul says, I do not consider that the sufferings of this present time are worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And so Paul is pointing us to the future. Paul is pointing us to this glorious future. And so when you and I think of glorious future, you, might, you and I might think of, oh, just automatically, because are, most of us are Christian, uh, we might think of heaven, right? And we have this vague conception of what heaven is in our brains. You know, no pain, no sorrow, no weeping, Right? But what is it that makes heaven heavenly? What is it truly that makes heaven heavenly? Is it no pain? Well, then, I mean, heroin can do that, you know? Uh, Is it, you know, is it it no weeping? Well, then, ignorance can do that, right? Is it no sorrow? You know, uh, now, I'm being facetious, obviously, but what makes heaven heaven? is not the lack of pain. It's not the lack of suffering. Although that, it, that will be true of heaven. But what makes heaven heavenly? And, and the reason why we can claim heaven here on earth is because heaven is where Jesus is. Heaven is where Jesus is. Heaven is where we have true, unfettered, unbounded communion with our Savior Jesus Christ. The reason heaven is heavenly is because heaven is where Jesus is and where we will be united to him eternally and perfectly. And think about the image of the church that is written in the Bible and how the, bo- the church, the body, and our bodies will be restored. Church, the structure, the building, it will be complete. And the church, the marriage, will be consummated. Our bridegroom, Christ, is taking us, his bride, the church, home to the new Jerusalem. And so we were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, which means our end goal was never a place, it was never a state of being, it was never I'm going to be this good. The end goal of our conforming to the image of his son is the son himself. The end goal of our predestination is the person of Jesus Christ. And so while we are waiting for that final consummated glory, we actually, we already know what heaven is like. How do we know that? Because we have been called to be like Christ. And Christ is what makes heaven, heaven. And so in our being like Christ, what we are doing for ourselves and for our church and for the world is that we are showing what heaven looks like showing what heaven looks like. To be conformed to the image of a son is to bring a piece of heaven down. We are being made like him, even as we have already been made like him, so that as brothers with Christ, co-heirs to his kingdom riches, our time in this age and place will not be spent in vain because as we become more and more like Christ, we bring more and more of heaven to earth. And because we can see heaven on earth through our being made more and more like Christ in his death and resurrection, putting to death the sins of the body and bringing forth the works of the Holy Spirit, it gives us hope for the glory to come. That one day there will be no more sin left to kill. And there will only be life to celebrate and rejoice. The fulfilling of the hope of glory is that when we the fulfilling of the hope of glory is when we are in conformity to the image of Christ as his obedient and gracious, subjected creatures. And so, we have the source of our conformity in the Son, who is the main character of the story. Because what is the story? What is the, what is the conclusion, right? In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is, once again, adoption language. Indeed, we have, we have been adopted into the family of God. And we are joining in on this journey to be made more like our, our eldest brother, Jesus Christ. Remember the, remember the parable of the prodigal son. How there was that prodigal son, but there was also the older brother. And how that older brother had failed his younger brother. Because all he wanted was a little, okay, all he wanted was a little party from his dad. Because the older, the older brother did not go looking for his younger brother. The older brother did not go... Uh, rescuing his younger brother from his life of sin and death. And when the younger brother returned, he did not prepare a dinner, a feast for his younger brother, and yet Jesus is our true and better older brother who, not, who has found us in the depths of our depravity and who brings us home and who is preparing that final feast table for us. And so who Christ is and what Christ has done is the main character, it's the plot of this great story that, of which we are a part. What is of ultimate importance in our Christian life as we conform more and more to the image of Christ is not how we end up, it's not how good we are. That's not the point of our Christian life. The point of our Christian life is to show who Christ has always been the glorious, blessed Son of God, worthy of all praise and honor. And and again, what is of ultimate importance in our Christian life, as we are conformed more and more to the image of Christ, is not that we raise ourselves up to be made more like Jesus, but to recognize that Jesus lowered himself down for us. That is Christianity. Not that we would be made holy, but that Christ took on flesh and blood in order that we might become the righteousness of God. How he was fully God and yet fully man, and he was truly fully dead, no heartbeat, and yet he is fully alive now. And in our suffering, in our present day sufferings, we have joined with Christ's suffering so that in our rejoicing we rejoice in Christ's victory over sin and death. And so no longer is it simply just our suffering, but it is Christ who suffers for us. It is no not any longer simply our rejoicing, but it is rejoicing in what Christ has done and will do. And so, as we conclude, how does our conforming to the image of Christ answer our present suffering? It points us to the source, that nothing about us is outside of God's control. And so we can trust in him. And we are being conformed to the son who is heaven, and he is bringing heaven down in, in our lives. And he is pointing us to the great story of the gospel. That though he was God, he became man so that he would live a perfect life and, and yet die the death of criminals so that we might be united to him and become the righteousness of God. And so with that being said, uh, let's just take some time to reflect on that and to see as we are approaching different milestones and um, next chapters in our own lives, How can we conform to this image of Christ? And how can we be conformed in a way that recognizes the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done and who he is? How can we be conformed in a way that points us towards the great source of our salvation, who who is God, the God who has foreknown and predestined us? How can our conformity make us more like Jesus Christ, way that brings heaven down let's spend a few moments in prayer before we respond